microphone check one two what is this it's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business and we're back with another episode of qlc tv my name is rohan and i'm the host of this lovely show where i aim to give you authentic insight into the world of music which will be a primary focus as it's my absolute utmost passion in the world i just love music I'll also be talking about politics, culture, sports, as well as personal topics related to growing into adulthood. As all of this is delivered from the perspective of a 25-year-old Indian man living in Canada, trying to make sense of not only myself, but of the world. So all in all, I thank you so much for listening and taking part in this creative journey that I'm embarking on with QLC TV. And I just hope that this platform will not only give myself, but give those listening something nice to look forward to when they wake up in the morning. Because if I achieved that, then I've succeeded. Thank you in advance for bearing with me when it comes to the audio quality and some of the editing. Uh, As I've explained throughout uh, the first four episodes, I didn't want to let not having a proper mic and all of the editing skills come in the way of actually starting this thing so thank you for bearing with me and note that from episode five moving forward i have a good mic so all of the audio quality should be consistent from there on so thank you again and enjoy the show episode three on a cloudy july 16th here in ottawa ontario and what i wanted to focus today's episode on is the top 20 albums of the mid-year 2020 I'm really excited to dive into this one because it's been a fantastic year once again for music. Therefore, what that means is basically I'm going to take people's art, assign numeric grades to their life's work, um, and rank them and uh, make people feel really bad about themselves. But no, in all honesty, I view music critique and overall the whole review scene as just a nice way to aggregate, aggregate opinions on music and descriptions of music and categorization of music as a way for listeners to discover music in a in a more efficient way like i use a variety of different youtube channels some of the big ones dead end hip-hop needle drop and other publications as well it's just a way to find music so i know certain publications certain reviewers they have certain taste i go for them for specific kinds of albums and take the recommendations, obviously, with a grain of salt, because it's music, it's, subject- it's subjective, it can always be interpreted differently, and an album like I May Love, some people may love, for instance, people may look at Eminem post-2005 and say, oh, that's a, I love his kind of type of dad joke bars, they're, it's really funny, yeah, mixed in with all his technical rapidy rap ability, it's really fun to listen to, and that, you know, that's fine, that's valid, personally, I think it's corny as hell, and it turns me off, but to each his own, this is not what I ever want to talk to music, and I don't want to ever have music discussions trying to have an objective authority on anything, but that being said, i believe i know and i educate myself on music at least when it comes to listening not really when it comes to the theory uh, and i want to present that to you because it's a lot of fun to talk about music it's a lot of a lot of fun to talk about every, any other thing as well i love just debating opinions on things whether it be music culture politics and, and that's what this podcast is about it's to to allow me to ex- express myself Hopefully start a dialogue as more people listen to the show and 
and I get to further build a community of people engaged on these topics, and that, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. Um, and also, it's a way for me to find my own voice, find a way to express myself, and again, kind of, as I mentioned in the first episode of this of this podcast, it's a way also for me to to get better at taking control of my life and pursuing something in addition to my day-to-day responsibilities at my full-time job and and uh, all the regular stuff. And I really want to find a way to balance my creativity and uh, make sure that I'm able to be creative while also maintaining and taking care of my responsibilities that keep me paying rent and being healthy. So with that being said... Uh, Let's get right into it. I will start off by saying that you should expect at the time that this launches, because again, it's July 16th, I'm trying to record a whole batch of episodes right now um, in anticipation of a launch, which should come at the, around the time of the beginning of August. And and yeah, I'm, I'm expecting to create a lot of episodes. I'm also going to make a playlist of my favorite songs that you'll be hearing from this top 20 list that I'll be sharing with you guys shortly. And you can go on Spotify. It'll be in the package of uh, posts and all that that I'll be sharing. And you can take a look and follow me on, on that. And uh, and yeah, that's about it. Let's get right into it. I'll quickly start with some of the albums that didn't make my list for a variety of reasons. So starting off with albums that I just did, didn't have time to listen to, whether it's that they came out too close to now or I just never discovered them until too late. So I'll start with Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which came out recently. It's been out for enough time since about mid-April. It's received rave reviews, and overall, in my four or five times I've listened to this in full, I've been impressed, thoroughly impressed. I just don't... I feel like it's there's so much going on with the themes and the lyricism, and I just don't think I've been ready for it. I don't, I don't, whatever reason it's not really received or translated to me yet. And I don't feel, I don't feel comfortable speaking on it and trying to put it on my list yet until I give it some more time. But I expect this will definitely make my year end list. Next on the albums that didn't make it, I have Che Noir and Apollo Brown's As God Intended. Che Noir, the MC of this record, hails from Buffalo, New York. And then Apollo Brown's a Detroit producer. Uh, very prolific. Uh, I've heard many projects and many songs produced by him. He's an amazing producer. And Che Noir, never familiar with the this girl's work, but she comes off very real, very honest, and gives kind of like a female's perspective on a lot of a lot of material and subjects you'd hear from other rappers that are are coming up in the game, uh, coming from situations of poverty and things like that. But it, it's 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 very fresh, especially given her perspectives um, as a woman in all this and woman in this industry, a woman in the streets and things like that. So really like the album, just still need some more time before I can really put it up with the other albums. And then I'll move on to some disappointments. So I'm going to start with Tiana Taylor's The Album. That's the name of the project, The Album. She's a uh, R&B artist known to many at this point, signed to Good Music, Kanye West's label. And released, a, in my opinion, a very great, very good project um, in 2018, which was part of Kanye's uh, seven track, although hers was eight. Um, but her his string of very short albums that he produced for other artists in full, as well as his own. In Wyoming. 
although I, it did come off a little unfinished, it did come off a little short, could have definitely used some extra verses added to songs, or maybe an extra track or two to the list. The final product was, was I think, very promising and was by far the most interesting thing I've heard her produce to date. And that was largely due to the production from Kanye that was very much in line with his uh, old school soul sampling, simplistic um, productions. But also it was her, her very personal stories and her very intimate vocals that just came off really nice, very sweet, very earnest. And this new project is, I, I guess, is to offset the lack of uh, music that was released in that previous album, KTSE, uh, from 2018, and it's, I think, 23 songs, if I'm not mistaken, and there is an attempt at separating the album into specific segments that have a particular mood. It wasn't all that captivating to me, the way that was segmented, and overall, the project is just full of just mid, just full of mid. Her vocals are still good, not as used in an interesting way as much as before. Production is fine. There's some standout songs, um, like Come Back to Me, that has her, her daughter singing it, like that gets sampled. I love that. I think that song is a very classy instrumental. But yeah, overall, it gives off the illusion of a very complete body of work, but it just comes off being very... Just very much just like I put together a bunch of songs to feed my fans. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But from my perspective, it doesn't come off and give off much of a of a unique feeling or sound. And just comes off as very airy, R&B, trap-inspired songs. And I'm not really that interested in it, to be honest. Next on our list of disappointments uh, to date in 2020, I have IDK and Friends. IDK and Friends 2. IDK is a rapper that's starting to get a, a name for himself. He released a pretty pretty noteworthy project in 2018 called Is He Real with some big name collaborators and producers such as Pusha T, Jid, even had Tyler the Creator do this this random monologue on God. It was an interesting project, but I feel like his problems from that project, which kind of kept it from being great instead of just being good, is present on this new project, IDK and Friends 2, except threefold, because the project itself has no ambition. It's just a collection of songs, and that's fine again, but I just felt it's another chance for him to fulfill his potential that he misses. Um, The subject matter doesn't have a lot of weight, whereas on his previous project, it had a lot of weight, yet lyrically, he's a very talented rapper. He's a lot of... Uh, versatility when it comes to cadence song style he can kind of do this singy songy stuff he can be more uh, grimy and hard and 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 drop a very aggressive track he's very capable but lyrically sometimes he just misses the mark of really articulating his thoughts in a in a deeper fashion and yeah and then this project he kind of moved away from even doing that did something fun uh, songs aren't that impressive and it was just more surface level and yeah not not really interested really was hoping he'd kind of take a step up especially given some of the collaborators that he had on this project okay so now i want to move on to the honorable mentions for this top 20 mid-year list starting with sky zoo's milestones uh new york mc milestones part of one of many kind of short projects he put out this year 
good project about fatherhood. Just good project, nothing bad to say. Just was short, didn't pack an incredible punch, but still a solid project. Thundercats, it is what it is. This is a song. This is an album I'm I'm gonna revisit as the as the months go by, and I'll hope that it kind of creeps up on my list. But I've given this enough spins, and it doesn't captivate me. Overall, I feel like Thundercats still hasn't really mastered the album format yet. Um, mostly just comes off with great singles or great moments in a song, but overall the songwriting really is lacking. Tame Impala's The Slow Rush. Tame Impala hailing from fucking, I don't know, somewhere in the States. Guy who's always on every damn festival lineup. Have you noticed that? Everything. Coachella. uh, Basically any summer big music festival. It's always Tame Impala. I don't even understand. He hasn't released a project for five years, I believe. Um, And yet he's always there. But I mean, his music is is very interesting. Uh, Can be categorized. It's kind of like sometimes it's synthy. Sometimes it's electronic inspired. Sometimes it's more uh, very vintage uh, Beatles-like rock coming from it. And he's a very trademark sound. The Slow Rush is more of like a a slow building uh, mediation in, in synths and with very sparing guitar, which is something that his sound was previously known for. But overall, just it didn't really grab me, but I'm hoping it, it changes over time by the year end. Next, we have uh, Koreatown Oddity. This is a project that actually should actually not be on honorable mentions. I forgot to mention this. This was in should be in what I need more time to listen with. I have no real backstory on who this guy is. I just kind of discovered him off a whim. Elucid, a guy you'll hear multiple times in my actual list, a rapper and producer, recommended it. It's a really interesting project. I won't get into it too much, but just started listening to it very recently. Next we have Charlie XEX's How I'm Feeling Now. This was her quarantine project. Very intimate. Um, really interesting. Um, but didn't really... Didn't really grabbed me like her last album did, uh, which I believe came out in 2019, which was her real solid debut album that I think really hit the mark. Really futuristic pop music, uh, very experimental at times. Uh, this definitely fits the bill, still a good project. Again, it's not. I've not really been in an experimental mood, and I've been very just much on rap music for the better part of the last year plus, so might just be a symptom of that but i'll revisit this again and maybe it'll it'll uh climb up my list rena sawayama's uh i think self-titled project it's her first debut album and i've heard her eps in the past and had a lot of potential i just think this had some kind of odd pairings with new metal music that i didn't love but overall it was another project similar to Charlie XCX, which I really, I still liked, had a lot of potential and, and may grow on me. And lastly, I have Nicholas Jar's pair of projects that he released, one under a pseudonym Against All Logic, and his project Senizaz. Both cool, very interesting electronic and the Senizaz more ambient style production. Don't have much else to say. Again, wasn't really in an experimental mood, so these didn't make my top 20. But now, without further ado, here is my top 20 list. So no, at number 20, I have Denzel Curry and Kenny Beats's Unlocked. So this is a very brief project at about 18 minutes. 
It has moments that are incredibly exciting, particularly from the production standpoint, which is again handled by Kenny Beats. Uh, he really delivers another great set of instrumentals that have unique drums, intricate grooves, but also has more of a boom bat feel, which is something that I haven't previously heard from him. He's mostly in that trap uh, vibe, but he's really, the, the textures on this, the sound's really interesting. But as for Denzel, uh, although the charismatic performances remain, the, the weak link, he's still the weak link on the project. His delivery is great, but the lyrics, the subject matter don't really go anywhere on this project. And it kind of continues a trend from his past project, Zoo, uh, from 2019, that was more focused on being uh, energetic and fun versus actually saying something of substance. This trend of music of his music being a bit surface level and not really saying too much of substance isn't something that I could have said about his 2018 project that was released to a lot of acclaim. And that one was titled Taboo. Yeah, great project. That was definitely one of my favorites of 2018. Yeah, this just didn't really meet my expectations and was also quite short. So what I would give as my Roeview certified rating for uh, Kenny Beats and Denzel Curry's Unlocked I give it a seven. Now, keep in mind that, you know, when I give these ratings out, overall, I just do it because ranking music is just fun to me. I like to be able to kind of catalog things when it comes to music. It's I really like being kind of overly precise with these stuff. It's just fun. I like doing it. And, it, and again, it kind of serves a different purpose. Of, it allows the listener of this podcast and of any music review that uses a numeric rating system to get a get it get a recommendation see okay it's an over a seven it's over an eight maybe there's something i should try even if it's not something that i fully think i'll like you know that's the kind of thing i'm going for uh so moving on to 19 i got sky zoo again with dumbo station the bluest note another solid project from the brooklyn mc um the production is handled by this jazz musician group dumbo station uh very classy instrumentals consistently good verses from sky but overall, it's just a safe project, still delivers a nice, punchy uh, 20 minutes, um, but nothing much more to say. I wasn't too all that wowed by it, but also was, was pleased with it overall. It's an enjoyable listen, very easy on the ears, and very solid. For the bluest note, I would give it a 7.1 on 10. Again, you'll see here quickly, the ratings are, are quite precise and a little ridiculous, but that's how I like to do it. It's just how my brain works, OCD like that with music. At 18, I have Zero's Blacklight, B-L-Q-L-Y-T-E. I'm not sure if it's Blacklight, I'm just going to say that. Um, this is an incredibly experimental and dark brooding experience that gets more intriguing the more and more I listen to it. Zero's are an MC and producer, I believe, that isn't someone that I was all too familiar with up until now. He's a, he's from LA and he kind of fits in a lot with that LA scene that's very much like inspired from acts like Flying Lotus, um, Gas Lamp Killer, that glitchy, noisy, ambient infused hip hop music. At many times it doesn't sound like hip hop this project, but it's got some spoken word abstract verses. Um, was this really nice, calming, deep voice that makes this almost a spiritual experience. Um, the production, really dark, but really 
interesting and pretty at times with a strong ambient noisy influence and some kind of hip-hop moments at times really overall it's an album that interests me more than i necessarily enjoy it like i'm intrigued it definitely has a lot of high replay value due to just how confusing it is at times and how abstract it is but it just suffers from being a little too fluid a little lacking in structure than for my tastes um i would have preferred something a little with a little tighter songs a little bit more of a actual hook at times um but that but that's fine that's just my taste it falls low on this list but i don't think it was really trying to be a project like that in the first place so props to zero on a great project so blacklight i would give it a 7.3 on 10 really interesting project really recommended for people who like experimental music now we have boldy james and the alchemist the price of tea in china so this is an album that seems to have garnered a lot of hype and acclaim i'm seeing it all the time on the internet it seems to frequently come up as one of the best albums currently of uh, 2020 and i agree that it definitely was a good project uh rapping wise boldy james is a detroit mc who's been in the game for quite a while but seems to have finally broke through with this latest project with the alchemist um his delivery is is monotonous but it's it's steadfast it's steady and he has gritty stories that are almost told with this like sociopathic calmness like i don't know it's not like he doesn't come off emotional at times or like he means it it just it's so calm and mixed in with the very dark subject matter it's uh it's a really nice really nice vibe it's captivating for sure and his in his wordplay is solid definitely but overall i feel like the subject matter and the overall pacing the tempo of these songs is quite too one note for me it's a little one-dimensional and that brings the the album down so the price of tea in china i'll give this a solid 7.4 out of 10. so now we're on a 16 and we have the god fahim's after every dark day comes sunshine so this, the god fahim is an underground east coast legend who deliver what I believe to be his most complete and focused body of work. Uh, but mind you, this is me saying this only having listened to a f small fraction of this guy's music. Like, he releases projects non-fucking-stop. Like, you think Griselda and the West Side Guns, the Conway, uh, Conways of the World release a lot of music. This guy's on another level. That being said, a great project. He's known for his work with the also underground Enigma Makami. I don't know if I ever say his name right. And overall, this project, it's a little prettier than his normal style. It's less dusty, less lo-fi. It has a lot more pretty, even has some like very nice hooks from female uh, singers. And overall, I think he just digs even deeper into his introspective bag. Has very little filler on a project, and I think it, it's a nice 40 minutes. It's a nice tight listen, and I give it a 7.4 out of 10. Now at 15, I have Knowledge is 1988. So... This prolific LA-based hip-hop producer is known for dropping his enchanting soul-sampling projects on a rapid-fire basis, very similar to the God Fahim, that he drops projects left and right nonstop. Um, but this project seems a little different. It seems a little more polished. It seems to have a much different vibe than his other albums. A lot of his albums, I feel like, tend to, and music in general, tends to kind of be dusty, uh be very soul sample um and other than like the samples themselves 
are quite traditional in the way that they're like maybe some pitched up vocals, some pitched down vocals of some R&B or something like that. But the overall drumming and all that, other than it being a bit glitched out at times, it could fit in with other more mainstream acts. And case in point, uh, he actually did the beat for Mama on Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly from 2015. Amazing beat. Love that song and love that album. And so you can see how he kind of can fit on a mainstream project like that. But this album is very different. It really embraces that R&B thing, that R&B vibe. And it comes off a lot more groovy, a lot more dancey in a way. That definitely threw me off at first. I didn't really like this project at, uh, on my first listen. But definitely grown on me. Really nice ear candy throughout the whole project. And I give it a 7.5. Now we're on to 14, we have Shrapnel with their self-titled project, Shrapnel. So this project is produced by Elucid, someone that you will hear me, and you've already heard me talk about, uh, you'll hear me again talk about it, talk about him later. Uh, but he's a New York rapper and producer, and he teamed up with Prem Rock and Curly Castro, two rappers that I have no fucking idea who they are. I had never heard of them, but the only reason I even listened to this project is because of Elucid. Elucid is a one of the most interesting underground influences that we have today. And overall, Prem Rock and Curly Castro, gritty MCs, they kind of have an abstract like vibe that's very similar. I see why they collaborated with Elucid in the first place. Um, and they bring this very dense rapping style on these chaotic, often noisy, off-kilter soundscapes that uh, Elucid created, and it makes it a really interesting listen. Uh, barely any time is wasted on this project, and consistently top-notch rapping, very interesting detours, instr- interesting uh, random almost uh, musical choices, but it comes off really nice. I think overall, the songwriting again, the hooks come off kind of lazy, come off a little just just like lacking in really any direction. But again, this project isn't there for the hooks. We're not listening to Drake here. This is not the the album that is trying to garner any sort of pop appeal. And that's fine. But still, I would have liked a little tighter uh, hooks uh, sprinkled throughout. But I still give this a 7.6. Really interesting project. And definitely want to see what these guys are up to next. And here we're into 13 with Mac Miller's Circles. So... We are, I'm sure a lot of us are, all of us are all very familiar of Mac Miller's tragic passing uh, in 2018. And this project was largely recorded when Mac Miller was actually alive. This project was supposed to actually be a companion piece to his previous album, uh, Swimming. And what's interesting is that it was actually going to be, it's supposed to kind of read as a title that's continuous. So it's supposed to be Swimming and then In Circles. That's how those two would link up. And you can kind of really see the, uh, the the progression from swimming, which was definitely very introspective, definitely touched on issues of mental health. But this circle just goes way more into the deep end of getting into Mac's mental head space. And uh, at first I was pretty unimpressed. Like I definitely wanted to listen to it. I wanted to like it. I really appreciated Mac's presence and overall just seemed like a great guy, but it just came off so random, he's barely, he's not really rapping at all anymore, other than maybe one song on this, but over time, the earnest and honest nature of Mac's delivery, 
the introspection really made this hit. It just came off incredibly vulnerable. And now obviously the impact was heightened due to his death, but I feel like saying that, sometimes people say like, oh, you only like it because the guy's dead, or you only, it's only like, you only feel like this because he's dead. It's like, so? Like, I don't even understand the point. It's just like saying like, oh, uh, Beyonce's Lemonade, you only are liking the album, you only think it is so impactful because of their actual personal life and how Jay-Z cheated on him. It's like, cheating on her. It's like, yeah, that's that's why. That's a very perfect reason. Art exists in reality. Art is not something that was created by a robot. And sometimes, and many artists rely on this more than others, but many times the realities of these artists is is part of the appeal and it's part of the story. It's part of the allure of their music. And this album definitely hits, once again, differently because he died. But it still stands on its own merits even without that because John Bryan very accomplished composer for movie scores, particularly the amazing Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, one of my favorite albums ever. Correction here, I meant to say one of my favorite movies of all time. As well as a co-producer on Kanye's Late Registration from 2005. He's the main producer on this project, Circles, and was also responsible for kind of taking what Mac actually did in the recording sessions, which from what I understand, it was very close to being complete, um, but he kind of took the final steps, add the finishing touches, and you don't really feel like the album is unfinished. It really does sound like it was he was fully alive during the whole recording process and part of the overall final vision. Uh, and I think overall he did a great job crafting and kind of constructing this album because flows extremely well and really captures this wonderfully peaceful and intimate account of where Mac was at the time of his death. There's many highlights like Good News, Good news is dreamy soundscape and the vocals on I Can See, um, aided by his ex Ariana Grande. It was just a beautiful touch. And the soft rock vibes of everybody. It, overall, it sounded like he was someone who was coming to terms with his potentially imminent death. And although that is kind of a scary thought, obviously, it, it really seemed like he approached this mor- his mortality and the idea of death with such a grace and such a wisdom. And I just think it's a, it comes off incredibly tasteful. If I have to think of one word that I first thought of when I listened to this album was tasteful because I'm so sick and tired of these posthumous albums where it just seems like, hey, Mac Miller died, let's throw a Soldier Boy feature on this. Like, I'm not trying to hear that. But overall, I think this was just a great way to close out his career, and I give this a, a solid 7.7 on 10. Now we're on to number 12. So now we're starting to kind of jump up in terms of the ratings. I think overall, you know... As you can see, I'm only on. I'm not even in the top ten, and the projects I've listed have had quite a high scores. Now we're starting to really jump into the cream of the crop of what 2020 had to offer, and just overall, really, really pleased with where music is. Again, you can see it's driven largely from my perspective, especially when it comes to rap, driven by the the underground, and that's when I mainly, when I speak about the music industry. I mainly speak from the rap perspective because I definitely listen to a ton of other genres consistently. But overall, I can't say I'm as knowledgeable as I am when it comes to to hip-hop. So moving forward, number 12, I give Mike's Weight of the World. Depending on when you listen to this, I've actually given a pretty uh, thorough review of this album as well as speaking on how Mike, the rapper from Brooklyn, used to live in Europe actually at a time. Really interesting backstory. And a really interesting 
place in the current kind of abstract lo-fi hip-hop landscape. So you can hear my more in-depth thoughts on this in episode one of this podcast. He plays a really interesting role, so I won't kind of get into the music as much here, uh, but I'll just give you an overview. Glitchy hip-hop instrumentals with a lot of random soul samples kind of like thrown together in this collage-like fashion at times. His his rapping is very much like Earl. You'll see Earl influence and Earl similarities in both the rapping and the production. And again, I, I urge you to listen to that other episode of QLC TV and you'll kind of get to know a little more how Mike has played a role uh, and how he's been both influenced and has influenced other people. Uh, but Way to the World, I think, is one of his best, if not his best project. And he just continues to be such an essential rapper in that space. Really introspective, super honest raps that, that gets you, but also has enough wordplay, enough rhythm and flow in his, his delivery to make it interesting just from a, uh, a musical standpoint. And the production is so nice, so nice throughout. I give this an 8 out of 10. Great project. Okay, now we are on, we're almost approaching our top 10. Here at number 11, we now have Quelly Chris and Chris Keys, Innocent Country 2. So Quelly Chris is a rapper, producer from Detroit. Uh, his style is truly one of a kind. He combines dry humor with some poignant, sobering perspectives on culture, politics, all from this perspective uh, that's very sarcastic, yet very confident and sure of himself. Like, I can't really find a comp for Quelle Chris in the current game. His, his, his style, his approach to music, his approach to rapping, his flow, and how kind of it sounds like he's just talking on the beat, uh, his voice too, it's, it's just the definition of unique. So on this project, Innocent Country 2, it's actually a sequel from their uh, 2015 effort with Quelly Chris and Chris Keys together, uh, Innocent Country 1. Compared to that record, which I, which I did like, but I don't think it was, it was necessarily great. It didn't it pack that much of a, a punch to me. Um, the production on this album is, is so much richer, uh, and the track list expands to allow numerous guests to... Uh, join the fun and uh, feature on this project. So Chris Keys handles the majority of the production, uh, but Quelly Chris, like I said, is a producer too, so he co-produces a lot of this. But Chris Keys is an LA producer who's known, as you would expect from his name, for, his, for being a magician on the keys. And he consistently laces these beats with just wonderful keyboard, piano passages that that had such a personality, that are so vibrant. Uh, a perfect example of this is Mirage, which is one of the best songs of the year, and, and I think my favorite, definitely my favorite song on this album. It has this beautiful vintage piano loop that, that just really gives this song such a classy throwback character. The way the production complements the, the soulful singing in the background it's it's really it's a really nice song really great song this album overall it continues Quelle's impressive hot streak that he's been on ever since 2016's being you is great i should be you more often i it's a weird title i hope that's the correct one but ever since that project he he's just never missed he's delivered great project after great project and this is just another example 
I would say that overall the, the, the track list is a bit on the long side than what I'd prefer for this kind of music. I think Quelle's style and the overall mid-tempo nature of this project, uh, it, it, yeah, I think there's just maybe one or two songs I'd like to take off that, that would really make the, the, the project flow a little better and flow a little tighter. But still, I still think there were some nice changes of pace, which is which were definitely uncommon for Quelle's uh, style. Uh, black Power, Bottle Black Power by The Business. It, it's uh, such a weird song, but again, it, ha it makes a political statement, yes, it, yet it's kind of funny. And the beat, this one was like some weird, obscure Quelle, only a banger that Quelle could make. It's so random, but the, the beat, the bass, so nice. I could go on and on about this project, but it's very good, very good addition to Quelle's catalog. Uh, Chris Keys really did his thing on the production, and I would give this one a solid 8.1 out of 10. Okay, so now we're finally at our top 10 of the mid-year 2020. Now I have here uh, Westside Gun's Pray for Paris. So Westside Gun, rapper from Buffalo, New York, who's really been making waves since, like he really started to make waves in 2015, 2014, with his Hitler Wears Hermes, or Hermes, I don't know how to say that brand, but his Hitler Wears Hermes mixtape series. Super gritty rap, very much is kind of like a throwback in a lot of ways, but also in a lot of ways it's not. He really takes that vintage East Coast sound, dusty hip-hop, street rap, but adds a nice elegance to it, adds his own swagger that comes through a lot in his style, He's got, a, he's got like a baby voice almost. His voice is so high-pitched, but it comes off very much like Ghostface in a way. Definitely an acquired taste, but really interesting rapper. Not really for his lyricism, but it's more just an allure. It's more of an aura. I was actually speaking with a friend, one of my best friends, Danny, and we were kind of talking about how Westside Gun, like he's an often a rapper that kind of touches on similar subject matter that a lot of rappers talk talk about like the materialism the the fashion the wearing the nice chains wearing the nice uh clothing having the nice cars the luxury lifestyle but the way west does it it does it it's it's like it's a part of his art part of his art is to be presenting this rap music from the perspective of someone who has this larger than life aura this larger than life taste level uh, you often see in his music a lot of skits about physical paintings and arts and treating his music like art. To illustrate this example, I can just take a rapper like Rick Ross. Rick Ross, also known for displaying his lavish lifestyle in all of his raps, in his music videos, in his uh, overall persona as well, similar to West Side Gun. But the difference is, is that West Side Gun... His lavish lifestyle, his over-the-top decadence, it, it comes off more self-aware and it also comes off more as an authentic part of his creativity. He blends and integrates that lavish lifestyle and that idea of him being this, this king art curator into his music and it, and it, and it just fits into his personality in a way that you can actually kind of understand through the music. Whereas Rick Ross, although he kind of 
kind of toes a similar line at times when he raps about his lifestyle and all of his luxury it comes off more surface level and it comes off as just plainly hey i have a lot of money and i want you to see that so i feel good about myself it doesn't really come off as a unique statement or anything because the way he brags and shows off this luxury isn't all that creative isn't all that clever it instead comes off cheap and basic but that being said, I really do like Rick Ross, and, and the times when he actually has music that clicks with me, it is when he kind of strikes that balance that West Side Gun often does, uh, which is being a little bit more self-aware and kind of living and breathing the decadence through the art and through the music. On this album, it kind of is perfectly personified in the music and in the production especially. Pray for Paris is, is his most elegant, uh, luxurious album to date. And it has his most high-profile features by a mile with Joey Badass, Tyler the Creator. Uh, he has his usual boys from Griselda. And if I haven't mentioned Griselda, that's the label that he started, Westside started, with Benny the Butcher and Conway and now others like Boldy James, who I mentioned earlier on this list. Fantastic label. They've been churning out great, consistent projects for the better part of the past five years now. And this is probably West Side Gun. I probably put this in his top three projects that he's released. He's a guy who's notorious for releasing a ton of projects uh, nonstop as well. But this one really stands out. It's his most polished. Has great production from some of the best in the game in the underground scene. You got The Alchemist. You have Derringer, a frequent collaborator with their label. Uh, you have Rock Marciano, who's a feature and a producer on this, has a fantastic verse. You Freddie Gibbs, how could I fucking forget Freddie Gibbs? The song 500 Ounces, $500 Ounces, amazing. You've got Versace with Jay Versace, who is a, a Instagram child star turned into very interesting follow on Twitter. I suggest, highly suggest it. And he just produces beautiful little less than two minute like soaring gospel vocal sampling track it's just amazing and overall i love this project has had a lot of spins since it came out uh, a few months back and i give it an 8.1 out of 10. next we have uh number nine stove god stove god cooks is reasonable drought i give this one also an 8.1 out of 10. stove god cooks a guy i've only heard about through his work with Rock Marciano on the project Marcialago from 2019, which was one of the best albums of last year. He has such a distinct delivery. It just steals the show. And I'm saying that as a person who's a Rock Marciano stan. Uh, so keep that in mind when I say this. But on both of his features on Marcialago, the tracks Puff Daddy and God Loves You, his singing his gruff delivery and his rapping, it's just amazing. It just steals the show. But but that being said, this Stoga Cooks project is actually a collaboration with Rock Marciano, who does all the production. And Rock Marciano, yeah, and if you don't know, he's a New York rapper, been been putting in tons of work since 2010. He's, he's actually had a much earlier, uh, longer history than that, but that's when he really made his name as a solo artist and producer. And he creates very gritty gutter kind of soundscapes for for stogog cooks to just just speak speak his shit on and it's it's great Tradi like like traditionally it's not too unfamiliar too out of the out of the the realm of like the typical street rap drug rap but the wordplay 
the, the ways he says things just comes off different. And the, the, the delivery again and the, the presence on the mic is absolutely top-notch. I can't believe this is his first project. And I'm really excited to see where he goes next. And again, another, another great project. And we're only at number nine. Number eight, I have Jay Electronica as a written testimony. Now, I'm, I'm really tempted to say Jay Electronica and Jay-Z, but it's technically just billed as Jay's Electronica's first debut album. If you all are not aware of Jay Electronica, his mythology, his story is something that is, like, I don't have any parallel. I have no comparison to give you. He started to make his name in the late 2000s, 2007, 2008, with his some of his mixtapes. He actually, it's a very funny connection to John Bryan, who I mentioned on that Mac Miller project. John, uh, John Bryan produced the score for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But the only reason I even heard of the movie was because of Jay Electronica. His name was buzzing in, on the internet, and he had a project, very short 20 minutes or 18 minute project, that was on some of the instrumentals from that movie. And he went crazy with some crazy, like alien, alien like lyricism and, and themes. It just came off so different, so captivating. Love that project. And that was why I actually watched the movie because I was like, oh, I'd be interested in seeing what this movie was about because I saw in all the reviews that it was from some great movie that he was rapping over the instrumentals of. And then I'm like, oh, he worked with Kanye. I know John Bryan. And the rest is history. Eternal Sunshine led me down that path. A great movie, a movie that definitely changed my life. And that's 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 an issue and that's a topic of how Eternal Sunshine impacted my life. That's an a story for another episode. Going back to the project now, he released those mixtapes and they released Exhibit C, which is still one of the best hip hop songs ever. Crazy Just Blaze beat. Just a crazy larger than life track. I don't even, I can't explain. It just had, was such a moment and it was like, okay, this guy's time is now. The new God MC is ready to be crowned. And then he just didn't do anything. I, whether it be writer's block, like, I don't know what the reason was. There was at least three or four different times in the 2010s where there was like an album imminently coming, some fake track list. Maybe they were real track lists. I don't know, but never came out. And then 40 days before the release of this project, he, he tweeted and he said, I, I'm going to record and release this project. So I don't even know necessarily how much of this is new, how much of it is old. Like one of these songs I've heard in 2010. So I can't tell which is new, what is old, but some of this is definitely new because some of them referenced some of one of the songs references Kobe Bryant's death. And yeah, overall, the the hype was understandably crazy. This guy was supposed to be the next God MC. And for that reason, when this album dropped and Beyonce's husband was all over it, people were naturally left down, let down, like obviously. But a 10 year wait and you basically only get nine tracks of real music and real rhyming from Jay. And then in those songs, he's splitting the duties with Jay Jay Z, um, <laughs> Jay Z. I know, I know. I'm just super funny, but well, uh, once you get past that fact, get the, over that past that initial disappointment. Okay, it's not going to be like a 15 track, 40 minute project of just Jay going crazy, giving you that alien five percenters, Nation of Islam like very mystical lyrics lyricism once you get past that it's not going to be all that it's going to also be jay-z it, the project is still great the the production is more or less very good 
or at least different to even when it's kind of sloppily executed because Jay Electronic actually high, uh, handles a lot of the production duty. At least it's different, and Jay Elect still kind of gives some good bars, although I think overall his, per, his, his rapping wasn't at the level that I think it could have been. I've heard him rap better, but still some great moments from him. And then fucking Jay-Z, holy shit. It is pretty crazy how he pretty much rapped better and washed Jay Electronic on so many of these songs. Like, he has seemingly adopted in, in, in his late, later stage, I think he's literally 50 years old now, in these last three, four years since 444 came out, he started to change his rapping style now that his breath control is so much more limited given his age. And he switched to this more heavily breathy flow. And his wordplay has gotten so sharp again. Like he's, he's done with the bullshit that he's been doing once he unretired with Kingdom Come, Magna Carta, Blueprint 3. Like he's off that. Um, shout outs to Blueprint 3, the off that, the track. That was a good one by me. Um, but he, he just really brought it from front to back. Some of his best verses I've heard of from him ever are on this are on these on these on these songs and it's it's amazing. And he really carries his project and makes it from good to great and definitely thankful that he pushed Jay to release this project and I'm glad that he pushed this project over the top too by actually rapping over many of the songs. And uh, for that I give it a 8.2. Next, we're on to Alfredo, which I also give an 8.2 on. Freddie Gibbs and Alchemist, they're the ones who created Alfredo. Both of them have been on a tear. I've mentioned Alchemist's name before uh, and mentioned that he's been on a tear recently. Freddie Gibbs has just been not going crazy. Ever since that whole rape scandal and what seems to be a false allegation and, and all that, I don't want to get into that, um, but that's the story. And he served time in prison in Austria, which was a really dark time. Since then, he converted to Islam, released Bandana, released You Only Live Twice, released Fetty with Currency and Alchemist, and then released this and released Freddy, the self-title. He's been on a crazy run, and all the projects have either been good to classic, Bandana being that classic. And while I don't think this album's a classic, I still think it's honestly maybe his most concise record yet. And the production and the variety in the production is so great. Alchemist really kind of like makes this album kind of flow from high energy to low energy, high energy to low energy. And it's very beautiful, very serene, really kind of matches perfectly with the, the album cover and the title. Just very exquisite. Overall, I think this is probably in, in Freddie's top three. Maybe top four, Bandan and Pinata definitely being the two classics that I think he's dropped. But then Shadow of a Doubt and Alfredo are right there behind it. And overall, I think at this point, Freddie's already cemented himself. But now he's really cementing himself in, in, in that overall like best rappers ever list for me. Definitely. like My metric is to even be in that real consideration unless the project projects in question are like undisp- undisputed classics. Like, you got to have at least three albums that I would say are like an eight and over, that are truly great. That's kind of like my barometer. Uh, that's a good, like, a rule of thumb for me. Like, Danny Brown recently achieved that with Triple X being a crazy, amazing project. Atrocity Exhibition, which is, I think, even better than Triple X. And then his album last year, You Know What I'm Saying, which rounded out his discography perfectly. Um, overall, I think Freddie's just, I don't know when he can stop. I don't understand, like, what he's even doing. This is crazy. 
This run's been amazing. This project has so many standouts. God is perfect. Oh my God, that flow, the beat is so simple, yet just grooves and rides so fucking nicely. Scotty Beam has beautiful production and, and some really poignant and unfortunately poignant and relevant bars about the revolution not being televised, your execution may be televised, uh, which definitely links to all of the the issues in black America these days and police brutality and racism in general. It's uh, definitely was poignant for unfortunate reasons, but still hit. And yeah, features really deliver. Love this project. And I just can't wait to see what these guys are doing next. Okay, now we're at number six, Cause, Descendants of Kane. And this, I give an 8.3. Cause, a rapper from New York, he actually kind of came up with rappers like Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan and Rock Marciano that I previously mentioned. And this guy's style is like no one you will ever hear, I guarantee you. He raps so, he almost whisper raps. It's almost spoken word. He sometimes has a flow, but it's mainly not a flow. It's mainly just like spoken word over like very quiet, uh, non-confrontational beats that are mainly just giving him space, giving him a sinister atmosphere to 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 spit these 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 verses that are just so poetic. Every bar is just something else. It's he says things that just blow my mind like the just the 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 wordplay but also just the the very insightful and powerful statements he makes about whether it be poverty living as a black man in america living in the street life it it, it comes off just so haunting yet so beautiful and in production wise like he handles some of this Others are handled by Rock Marciano and, and some usual suspects, uh, like The Alchemist, I think may have a beat on this as well. And it's really nice. I think this may be some of his best beats he's ever rapped over. And while this may not be as ambitious, there's not really a concept here, um, other than kind of having references to Abel and Cain in that story. I would like to point out, though, that on this record, Ka actually gets a little bit more personal in a more direct fashion, especially on the final track, I Love You, where he trades the usual obscure, indirect storytelling through vivid poetic portraits and metaphors for more direct expressions of love and emotion towards some of his greatest loved ones. It, it really just comes together, flows perfectly, only 33 minutes, 11 tracks. A beautiful record and it just keeps getting better because every time you listen to it you'll hear some other bar where you're like wait what the fuck did he just say that's the most crazy line i've heard all day and then you'll hear the next song and then that you'll say okay no that's the best verse that's the best line i've ever heard a couple of examples i wanted to share of this elite level lyricism from ka is from the track old justice where he raps no dandelions i got handed irons to make a wish Live to hate to the state was just another ape to frisk. Was begotten and forgotten, the covenant was rotten. Them days, everything was grave, so we was plotting. Like, just on those four lines, there's so much there. Starting with the dandelion reference, as that's what we used to use to make a wish, whereas Ka, he has to use an iron, use a gun, to make a wish to, to kind of change his situation. Then you have that social commentary of, the fact that the state treats Ka, a black man, 
as a, just another ape to be frisked by the police, like just a really dark imagery used that's really captivating. Then he ends these bars by saying, everything was grave, so everything was not going well, so because of that, they were plotting. And plotting refers to plotting, scheming, trying to find a way to make a buck in poverty, but also plotting is a thing that people do when they're trying to create a cemetery. They plot this, the land to outline exactly where the uh, tombstones and things in the cemetery would actually lie on that uh, piece of land. So, and then we move to another part of that song where Ka raps and ends his verse on the track by saying, the cipher's muddied, the cycle bloody, till all my men straight, till all my men straight. So you can see and recognize that clever wordplay of the cycle being bloody and my menstruate, till my menstruate, the way he says it, it sounds like the word menstruate, as in what women go through on their period. So overall, that sums up perfectly just the level of quality lyricism that every single track on this album provides. This is a great record, and I think this is definitely going to grow. It originally wasn't in my top 10 until last week, but now it is. So it tells you how much... Uh, this album is has a ton of replay, replay value. And I give this album an 8.3 on 10. Okay, top five time now. We have The Weeknd's After Hours. And this may be a hot take, but this is, in my opinion, The Weeknd's best album ever. Better than House of Balloons, just edging that out, and just edging out uh, Echoes of Silence. I'm not going to say I'm a weekend stan, but I'm definitely a big fan. I definitely love his music. Uh, he's so, so fucking talented. And on this project, I think he never created an album that actually flowed and was actually cohesive and actually had some more substance to it. Because although his music has always been like, oh, like druggy trips, uh, introspective, rapping about heart, or not rapping necessarily, but singing about heartbreak. I never, I don't think at any moment did I ever really truly believe what The Weeknd's saying or really connect to it because lyrically he's not there, he's not at a high enough level to justify how su like surface level his problems are. It's like, okay, you are in a strip club and these five strippers aren't going to fill the void in your heart, like I understand, but you're not saying this in any unique way. You're just singing it really nicely and really catchy and the beat's good. So there's still obviously value and all that, but it never really hit that next level. I'm not going to care. And I think After Hours kind of does a good job of being a little bit better written. I think there's actual times where I believe that, but also he doesn't overdo it. And I think that's why I like Starboy a lot too. And I think that's also one of the projects that's definitely one of my favorites of his in that don't try to be super deep if you aren't. He mixes in some of that dancey synth pop music like with songs like Save Your Tears, which are unbelievable. Like That's one of my favorite pop songs this year. Amazing song. So groovy. The way the beat comes in in the chorus. The, the, the melodies are amazing. And how he mixes that in with also some of the more ethereal, atmospheric music that kind of like lends back to his earlier music in his career. This kind of feels like his dark twist of fantasy, not trying to actually make a comparison in quality or anything other than just saying, I think he took a lot of parts from uh, his, his music catalog to date and then just put it all together. And I think it came out his best project yet. It's his most concise. It's his most 
interesting lyrically and has some amazing songs uh and some interesting choices of music uh beats too like the the song hardest to love has like an idm aphex twin type beat and the melodies overall is beautiful beautiful melodies his singing has never been better and i actually when this album came out uh i was listening to some of the old weekend music kind of just hadn't heard in a while and i really think like vocally he's improved too over the years, his his vocals were not as good as they are now. His vocals are so much better now. And overall, this is just a really great project. I I very surprised. I, I didn't expect to like it like as much as I did. Has a lot of replay replay value as an album, not just as like a collection of singles, which is what I usually went to the weekend for. Okay, now so now we're at number four. Rap Ferreira's Purple Moonlight Pages. Rap Ferreira's and and a rapper that has really been making a name for himself in the underground scene slowly but surely created some one of the strongest discographies in all of rap for my humble opinion um he burst out onto the scene in in early early 2010s with some successful mixtapes um my first introduction to him was things that happen at night and things that happen at day which was two companion eps that made a full album really interesting project um but it's also really interesting where he was at that time because I liked that project. But even then, like he previously was this awkward, overly verbose dude musing about philosophy and obscure literature references. And he came off very personal, very unique, had very unique perspectives on the world. But it did often come off a little awkward, even more than my liking. Even It can be awkward, but it just was a little too much at times. And Sometimes just reference things I didn't understand, and he didn't really do it in a rapping fashion. It was more like spoken word, but from there till now, dropping very good projects throughout, I think he really hit his hit his mark with his best project yet, because um, this project is is like jazz rap and uh, is much more confident. He's incorporated more rhythm and flow into his delivery, so he kind of has more of a rapping cadence now, and it, and he and he kills it. He fucking kills it. He's balanced these more nerdy tendencies with bolder insight on our on our current socio-political climate, the music industry in general. Like, he comes off still nerdy. He comes off still very much into philosophy and all that. But he comes off less like a geek and more like a confident scholar, if I can say that. I feel like that's the vibe I get from him. And he, and he comes off like he's just rapping and the songs and the music just comes off like... It's been it was recorded and performed in this like smoky jazz cafe from with these super cool people. Musically, this project was handled by the Jefferson Park Boys, which is a collective of producers headed by Kenny Siegel, which is someone I'm very familiar with. Produced some of the best projects of the last uh, few years. A, a previous project by Rap Ferreira, who previously went by the name of Milo, with their project "So the Flies Don't Come," which came out in 2015. Uh, Billy Woods's project Hiding Places last year. So the music on Purple Moonlight Pages is the the music is so it, it's jazzy yet it's so dynamic it's so free flowing it, it just really fits what Ferrera is doing it really fits his out of nowhere changes from more rapping fastly to kind of getting spoken word to the way that rap Ferreira often kind of like adopts a poetic kind of uh kate like not cadence he kind of does something that sky zoo a rapper i mentioned before does where he kind of repeats a phrase 
um, as like a literary device in his in his rapping. He kind of treats his raps like that, and I really like it. And uh, the Jefferson Park Boys, the production tends to mirror that, and they tend to add emphasis with the music in really important parts of his of the song. And and overall, just fantastic, fantastic album. I give this an eight point four. And it's one that, again, has been growing on me more and more, and I think it might even up uh, climb my list before the end of this year. Hit number three, I have Arm & Hammer Shrines. I'm also giving this an 8.4. Uh, and you may notice, yeah, I'm giving the albums, like even though I'm technically putting one above the other, if they're the same rating, I can't really differentiate. And again, the the rankings, the, the, the ratings are mainly like just for me. I like doing it, but it's just kind of a way to reference your way through my my taste and my opinion on music. So Arm & Hammer Shrines. Arm & Hammer is a, collect, a group with Billy Woods, very underground, elusive MC, and then Elucid, who I mentioned many times now. Both of them feature this abstract, gritty, left field kind of way to both the way they rap and the kind of production that they either create themselves or that they rap over. Shrines is the fourth project of this duo's career they have their own solo work but they released an album in 2013 with race music as the group arm and hammer and then they followed it up with rome and then paraffin in 2018 which was definitely one of the best projects that year this project is is less straightforward than any of their previous works more abstract in the production style like their rapping kind of remains that same way but it's it's abstract, but it's very bright. It's kind of actually their most peaceful and hopeful project to date. And they have some a good good amount of guest features. They have Earl, they have a Kai solo, a new rapper that I've just kind of got on due to this project and his feature. Did an amazing job, an amazing job. And uh, Rap Ferreira, who I just mentioned. And this album also really highlighted another fact that the underground scene is just been beautifully cross-pollinating and collaborating where it just seems like every artist that seems to potentially work together well, they end up making a project together or they end up like working on a song together. And it's just really beautiful to see. I'm seeing Quelle Chris is on this project as well. And again, you see again, all these like familiar names on my list. They all, they all ended up on this project. They are, they're working together and that's fantastic. Yeah. This project has a lot of standouts, a good, a good track list, not too long. It has a lot of good, a good moments particularly the last songs the second last track has this beat switch more mother this vocalist comes in and delivers this beautiful haunting little passage and then lucid delivers this beautiful verse over this like i don't know like string sample even and then it ends with the final track by billy woods solo called the eucharist and i'll just say one line and then i'll move on to the next album he says like did jay actually listen to the evils or did he just skim through it and that's a reference to a very famous Jay-Z line from The Evils. Or no, it's not. The line isn't from that song, but it's referencing that song, The Evils, which kind of just talks about the, the vices and the, the, the bad things you can get to in poverty, in the street life, and the kind of things that can, can kind of do you over. But um, the do you really listen to music or do you just skim through it is a famous line by Jay-Z. And it kind of just, in one line, you can just see exactly what makes Billy Woods and Lucid and these kinds of artists so special because just off that one line it says so much it poses a question to the audience the listener 
kind of speaks on capitalism in general. A person that came up from poverty obviously is incredibly uber successful in music and in fashion and in business. And it posed that question. So this guy, Jay-Z, who's made it so far in his career, making all these moves, definitely exuding the uber wealth that that he definitely lives out in real life. Basically, that song was all about how desire for money uh, and power can corrupt one person. So Billy was just in one very poignant line to end the album, asked, did Jay-Z even listen to his own music? Because... He's potentially been corrupted by all of this money and power. And I think there's a very good case to be made for that. And that's another discussion entirely again. But it speaks to capitalism and, and how what it can do to even some of our greatest heroes. Given today's climate and all of the messed up things that are going on, I, 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 don't, I can't think of another group better than Arm & Hammer to capture that feeling. Uh, and... I would say that their last project, Paraffin, captures the dystopian, really dark, morbid side of things. And Shrines definitely still speaks to the same subjects, but the tone is actually quite hopeful, like I mentioned earlier. And I think it's a really real and substantive look at today's society. Amazing project. I can't speak highly enough about this project and it's surely to grow. I definitely urge listeners to give it a chance. They actually even in their uh, release and press for this project stated that they think this album really works if you listen to it outside. And I really understand why it's a very peaceful uh, sounding album, even if it is quite chaotic. Uh, It has a nice atmosphere to it. So I give this project a 8.5 on 10. Definitely give this a a listen, especially if you're into the underground scene. Now we're getting real close to the top. I have at number two. So this is number two for the best albums of 2020 at the mid-year. And I have Run the Jewels with Run the Jewels 4. This duo has been in their solo careers making music since the late 90s to the early 2000s. So LP started his career and had a lot of success making music with company flow which is was an underground left field uh grimy gutter ass fucking group they made an amazing project one of the best rap albums you'll hear period uh and lp was all over the production there then he produced for cannibal ox which is another new york outfit two rappers and that one is another underground classic, one of the best albums you'll hear again. And then he came through with his solo material, Fantastic Damage, an amazing project, and two others that were also great. So what's interesting about Run the Jewels and what I find it so fascinating is that they already made their names, LP more so, I would say, but Killer Mike also had an established career. Uh, Atlanta rapper had some lineage with the the Dungeon family and Outkast. And had some features on some of their their projects. Killer Mike had some had some had, was bubbling up, and then they collabed finally in 2012 with Rap Music by Killer Mike's project called Rap Music. And LP was all over the production. It was a, a very well well suited marriage, to be honest. Didn't really make sense at first, but they both similarly have a a, a theme in their lyrics to being kind of fighting the power, speaking on systemic inequality. They come from it from a different angle. LP's a white dude from the Bronx, and Killer Mike's a black guy from Atlanta. 
So they have different styles. So it's not like the same rapper. They definitely have variety. And then they definitely have variety in terms of how they rap. LP's very wordy. Uh, and, and Killer Mike's much more of a commanding presence. Has Tends to have more rhythm in his flow. He's the guy that most people usually say is the better rapper when they first listen to him. But I think when you give it more spins, I think you'll understand that LP more than holds his weight. And and to be honest, is is the more complex lyricist. But it all depends on what you like. But I think we can... I think we should all agree that they're both amazing, amazing artists, and they've had an amazing second leg to their careers with Run the Jewels. Uh, it's not just some side project they've been doing now. This is their fourth project, and Run the Jewels 1 was amazing. Run the Jewels 2 could be my favorite, although it's debatable now with this project. Run the Jewels 3 was another continuation, another great project. Run the Jewels 4, this came at such a timely moment in our history all the stuff going on, especially in America, it just seems with the coronavirus, it seems like there's been an uprising in the global consciousness. And there's obviously people are going to point to lines from uh, a particular line from Killer Mike's verse on Walking in the Snow, which is maybe the best track on the album. He mentions, he, he goes on talking about being a person, a black person in America, being a person who has to be careful about what he says because he's a public activist now he's really started to come into his own in that role uh and then also again as just being careful about what he does as just a regular black person in america he references the i can't breathe which became recently relevant again it wasn't just mike brown a few years back it's it's george floyd obviously as many of us know there's just more lines like that more verses like that that just are very relevant to i feel like what the world is feeling uh, right now and really powerful stuff I think the album starts off as best as any of their albums have ever started I think Yankee and the Brave ridiculously energetic hard as nails beat such a great way to start the album the, the production again LP does the majority of this or all of this and it's it's again just another fantastic set of beats from him I wouldn't say it's incredibly different from their old music but it's kind of one of those things where it's just they've they have such a unique sound it's such a unique style it's just why not continue it and as long as the energy and the verses are there and they are uh you have you have the next track Ooh La La which is actually is the one sounding song it's a little bit different than their usual it's a little more more classic boom bat feel but has this great like warped piano loop got that Greg Nice uh sample from that Gangstar song has such a bounce to it has that trademark like well hey hey vocal vocal thing going on in the background and the the flows are amazing the groove is amazing then we got out of sight which is probably my favorite song the beat is bananas they just all spaz the flows especially killer mike on this song just they just float on this track two chains is a great feature as well and yeah it's off to a great start as I mentioned, walking in the snow, the way they create tension in the verses, the way the, the, the instrumental highlights the tension in what Killer Mike is rapping in that second and third verse. I don't really know how to describe the music other than there's these synth, synth chords kind of playing in the background and it kind of has a beat switch towards the midway point of the track and it really, really hits, really hits nicely. Uh, I think it finishes on a strong note as well. Uh, with the final track really kind of beautiful 
epic sounding track that has these like rising synth strings kind of playing really gargantuan sound again some very meaningful subject matter and then ends with this the 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 album sort of repeating as it kind of links to the beginning of the album from yankee and the brave really comes together well maybe their best flowing album because because even run the jewels 2 which may again be my favorite project of theirs I, I still, there was maybe one or two songs that were still okay, but kind of wrecked the flow of the album a bit, whereas Run the, the Run the Jewels 4 here, I don't see that problem at all. So this, the, yeah, this album's an 8.4. Great project and definitely the best rap album along with Shrines and, and Rap Ferreira's project. Because again, I can't really distinguish between the two, but I just give it like a microcosm of an edge of the, over the others just for the sheer in energy and impact of the the songs. Uh, so great, great project. And that's number two. And that's the best rap album I've heard so far, which leads me to number one. So my number one album, top 20 of the mid-year 2020, it is King Cruel's Man Alive. Now, for some of you who are not aware of who King Cruel is, he, he I think he goes by the name of Archie Marshall. That's his real name. He is a art rock, post-punk kind of artist. I believe he started his career early 2010s. He's a UK artist. He is a very baritone, unique kind of singing style. But if you are familiar with that genre and some of the, the pioneers, it definitely gives you some vibes of Joy Division. That's the one that comes to mind particularly uh, with that really like downtrodden vocal style dystopian kind of lyrics or dystopian kind of vibe and with with drumming that's very usually pretty intricate depending on where he is and if he's more in his punk lane or more in the art rock lane there may be elements of jazz in his music this is his third full-length project uh his first was more traditionally punk and uh alternative rock but then his project before that ooze the ooze which i did like but it was it was way too long, and the the style did not vary enough, wasn't dynamic enough to really truly make a massive impact on me. There were select songs that were just fantastic, but on this Man Alive project, my God, this hit me like a ton of bricks. It, it I didn't expect it at all. Like King Cruel again, I heard the ooze. That's the, the main project I heard. I have heard his first project since, but I don't have too much to say on it. It's, it's solid, but that's about it. And I've heard him on some features randomly on some rap songs. Funny enough, he actually famously turned down an invitation to work with Kanye. Not really for a particular reason, other than like he wanted to be making a name by himself. He didn't want to even be associated or be kind of dubbed as a Kanye collaborator as like oh he made him famous or whatever kind of thing he really wanted to make it on his own and I, I commend him for that and he really has a, a a unique kind of lane in music right now I can't really think of many artists uh that that are in his lane he's a multi-instrumentalist so he really handles a lot of the production himself and the instrumentation and so Man Alive is I would classify it again as art rock post-punk vibes it's a little more mellow than his other projects it flows though seamlessly it flows like water it has definitely moments where he breaks the tension and finally pays off with the climactic climactic finishes climactic choruses like uh, stoned again 
whether it's his vocals just hit, hit a fever point where he's just belting them out. You can feel the pain. That's the thing that I, I really enjoy about his, about his performance is that you can feel what he is saying. It really packs an emotional punch. It, it's a beautifully melancholy record that captures the feeling of loneliness and frustration in such an authentic manner. That being said, it still has moments of peace or at least of acceptance of a situation, which acts as a nice counterweight that doesn't leave me in complete depression or anything like that when I finish listening. There's great bass lines. The drumming is solid. Um, some noisy guitars. But again, I really like when he adds these embellishments of jazz, of serene key and synth passages uh, that really uh, set the tone for those more peaceful moments on the record. Uh, like like a song like The Dream, it's it's barely over a minute long. It's, it's beautiful. I don't really know what to say. He kind of just repeats the same... Uh, repeats the same mantra and it has similar lyrics throughout the song. He's basically recounting a dream sequence that, I mean, I can't really fully make sense of. It's pretty abstract, but he kind of recounts very briefly a love, a relationship, and it seems to be the same kind of continuation of a lot of themes and the same relationship in other songs on the project of how it kind of has withered away. It's kind of started to fall apart, but yet he feels this warmth He's like, and then he ends by, we could be the dream, the dream, the dream. And he repeats that. And he just says it in such a exasperated way, almost sleepwalky kind of vibe where I just get the impression that he's just, it was just empty. It just came off very empty, an empty hope uh, that, I don't know, it just really hits me. Still just makes, gives me shivers to hear. Uh, phenomenal song. And that kind of earnest honesty bleeds through in all of the songs even when it's not necessarily as obviously uh as obviously depressing and vocally archie archie really shines he gives off that heartbreak that vulnerability and it's really required because sometimes the lyrics are so on the nose i am depressed i am have nothing like left to give i'm hopeless like you need to have the voice the delivery it needs to hit the right tone, otherwise it'll come off corny or just come off very unbel- like not believable. But he absolutely, he kills it. Alone Omen, that song as well. Oh, Alone Omen 3, mind you. Fantastic and underclass, just perfectly pain- paints this picture of a man who's just kind of at the bod, the dregs of society. He's, he's just kind of screaming for, for help. But it just comes off so beautiful. The the music, the the flashes again of like saxophone or or strings or, or, or beautiful warm synths just really elevate all of these songs. And I think it really starts a little more chaotic, a little more depressing, but it kind of ends in a in a in a more peace peaceful, hopeful kind of way. And that's the way I like to take this album. From what I understand from this project, it's a lot about his relationship and then I suppose the second half of the album is very inspired by him becoming a new father, and I think that that kind of lines up perfectly with how I originally took the album as it kind of transforms into a bit of hope. And I hope, for his sake, Archie's feeling a little more hopeful, feeling a little more positive and happy that he has a new life he brought into the world, and 
what he can what his life may be now given that fact so i give this an 8.5 out of 10 it's it's an album that just gets better and better the more you listen to it i cannot highly recommend this enough and that is my number one album of 2020 to date so thank you all for listening i know that this was a much longer podcast than i usually will be putting out i usually try again try to keep them to 30 40 minutes but this one is, is much well over it but primary focus of this podcast will always be me discussing music me talking about one of my greatest passions in the world so so that concludes what i wanted to talk about in today's episode thank you everybody for listening i really appreciate the support i love doing this and i can't wait to continue doing more of these episodes of qlc tv moving forward if you want to follow me support the podcast please subscribe on all the podcast channels that you use whether it be apple podcast spotify and so on follow me on instagram and twitter at roview so that's r-o-h-v-i-e-w and shoot me a comment send me a dm and feel free to suggest whatever topic you think i should cover whether it be some political discussion music etc or if you just wanted to send me some feedback about something that you think i should improve on or consider changing as it relates to the show i'm definitely all ears i wanted to start this podcast to to help myself grow help myself uh express myself more efficiently more concisely more effectively so i'm always open to anything that i should improve on whether it be about how i deliver the show or just to criticize some horrible take that i had i'm all ears and i'd like to extend an open invitation to anybody who's listening right now who would like to join me in a discussion on any topic of your liking just shoot me a dm post a comment and i would love to do that because i want to connect with you guys who are listening as much as i can and foster a community so thank you once again for listening peace